said yes in January. For those of you that come to the married couples retreat, you'll hear the rest of the story. But we do take risks from time to time. For those of us who are children of the living God, drawing circles in prayer and saying, Lord, I'm going to risk looking foolish because I so desperately need an answer for you. May look foolish on the outside, but it's really faith that is alive. A willingness to do whatever it takes to see God at work. And if you look through the Scriptures, you will notice lots of times in the Scriptures where people were willing to look foolish to get the miracle that came along with it. Noah looked foolish in building a boat in the middle of a desert. The Israelite army looked foolish marching around Jericho and blowing trumpets. A shepherd boy named David looked foolish when he was charging a giant with only a slingshot. The wise men looked a little foolish when at night they're walking around following the light of a star. Peter looked foolish getting out of a boat, a perfectly good floating boat in the middle of the Sea of Galilee to see if he could walk on the water. Jesus looked foolish when he, as the king, had upon his head thrust a crown of thorns. But the results for those that risked the willingness to look foolish in faith to the Lord was that Noah was saved from the flood. The walls came tumbling down. David defeated Goliath. The wise men discovered the Messiah. Peter walked on water. And Jesus was crowned the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Foolishness was not something that Moses was unaccustomed to feeling as he was walking in obedience to the Lord. He had to feel rather foolish when God told him to go and stand in front of Pharaoh and demand that he let his people go. That had to be one of the more uncomfortable moments for him. He felt foolish raising his staff over the Red Sea. He most certainly felt foolish promising meat to an entire nation of Israel in the middle of a wilderness. But his willingness to be obedient to the Lord in spite of how foolish it may look resulted in some epic miracles. The exodus of Israel out of Egypt. The parting of the Red Sea. And a story that we're going to hear about today called the Quail Miracle. Drawing prayer circles in your life, things that you absolutely know that you need, may at times feel rather foolish. Because the bigger the circle you draw, the more foolish you will feel. But if you aren't willing to step out of the boat, you'll never walk on water. If you aren't willing to circle the city, the walls will never fall. If you aren't willing to follow the star, then you will miss out on the greatest adventure of your life. And in order to experience a miracle, you and I are going to have to take a risk. And one of the most difficult types of risk that we face in following the Lord is sometimes risking our reputation. Pony had a reputation of being a rainmaker. But he was willing to risk that reputation by praying for rain one more time when it didn't make any sense. He took the risk and the rest of it is history. Secondly today, faith in God always begins with a risk. Faith in God always begins with a risk. The greatest chapters in history always began because somebody took a risk. And the same is true with the chapters of your life. If you are unwilling to risk, whether it be your reputation, if you are unwilling to risk a trust in the living God, then you will never be able to do the things that the Lord wants you to do and accomplish the things that He wants to accomplish through you. You see, 
It will be impossible for us to build God's kingdom if we're more worried about our reputation. There comes a moment when you need to make the call. There comes a moment when you have to determine, will I take this step in obedience or will I stay where I'm at? There comes a moment when under the prompting of God's direction, you have to determine to take a step into something that you may not see, knowing that you're feeling the tugging of the Lord and that He sees things that you do not see. But circle makers are risk takers. One of my heroes of the faith is Dr. Yonggi Choi, pastor of the largest church in the world from South Korea. I have read a number of his books and heard his testimony on many occasions, and I want to just share some things with you. He had received instructions of the Lord in his mind when he was a young pastor. It was during a very difficult trial. But as a result of this step, he went on to grow the largest church in the world. Today, he has about 760,000 members to his church in South Korea. At the age of 19, when he was leaving his teenage years, going into his early 20s, he could contracted tuberculosis. The doctor told him and his family that he would be dead within three months, that there was nothing that they could do for him. A high school girl, don't even know her name, a high school girl felt prompted of the Lord to go and speak to him. And so she visited with him, and during that visit, she shared with him the gospel message of Jesus Christ. Joe received Jesus as his Savior, and she gave him a Bible. And he had an encounter with the living God while he was reading that Bible in that hospital room where he was expected to die. And instead of dying in three months, he lifted off his deathbed and within six months was out in the world doing the work of God. But in 1969, God told him that he was going to use him to build a church. And he said, I want you to build a church that will seat 10,000 people. And it's going to cost you $5 million. And how God supplied the finances was a tremendous testimony of faith. But Cho, in the very beginning of this, had a builder that said, I need you to give me a check for $50,000 so that I can get started on this project. Cho took his own personal checkbook, wrote a check for $50,000, even though $50,000 was not in his checkbook. Post dated it to December 31st at the end of that year. In 1969, he told that guy, you can cash this on January 1. He then began a journey of great prayer and great trust. By the time December 31st came around, he woke up that morning and there was nothing in his checkbook. Nothing was there. He knew that if his check bounced, the newspaper would instantly be on him and would carry the headline saying that the pastor of a church in Korea is writing hot checks and would ruin the reputation and destroy this church before it could really take off. And on the day that the funds were to be uh, there, the day that the check was to be cashed, it was already 5 o'clock p.m. The bank was going to close in one hour. He had been pacing around his office and praying all day long. Nothing was there. He suddenly felt the Holy Spirit begin to speak to him and say, you go to that bank and you go and talk to the president and you ask the president of the bank to write you a check for $50,000 right now. He said, I stopped for a moment and said, Holy Spirit, can you please repeat that? The bank closes in an hour. I'm desperate here and you're wanting me to do what? 
He immediately called the treasurer of his church, a man by the name of Mr. Park. And he said, uh, I need you to come with me. I feel that the Lord wants me to go to the bank and speak to the president and ask him to write us a $50,000 check. Mr. Park said, you're out of your mind. And you are on your own. He says, you have no appointment. He says, the people are lined up in that bank with appointments to speak to the president. It's the last day of the year. You don't have any assets. You don't have any collateral. There's been no paperwork that has started. It's foolish. I'm not going with you. So Cho, with a renewed mind, decided if this is what the Holy Spirit wants him to do, that he was going to do it. And so when he reached the bank, he said, I was walking in rather fearful steps. And the Lord spoke to him as he opened the door of that bank and said, Walk courageously. Stand up straight. Be bold. Act like a big shot when you walk in here. Don't pay any attention to anybody else in that line, but you just walk straight to the front of the line and you walk right up to the president's office. So he did that. And the secretary stopped him. She says, who are you? And do you have an appointment? And he said, suddenly the inspiration of the Holy Spirit came upon him and he stood in front of her, standing up tall. He said, I am from the highest authority. He meant he was coming on behalf of God. She thought he was coming on behalf of the president of the country. So she said, come right this way. Opened the door of the office and walked him into the president's office. He went over to the couch that was there, sat down, crossed his legs, and looked like an important person. And the president looked at him and said, who are you? He said, in that moment, I begin to feel fear. And the spirit said, you are speaking on behalf of the king of kings. And the Lord of Lords, you are an important person, and I need you right now. And so after he sat on the president's couch, he looked at him and said, Sir, I have come to you with a tremendous project, and I'm going to do a great favor for you today. And this caught the attention of the bank president, and he said, uh, And exactly what are you going to do? He says, I am going to allow you to write me a $50,000 check. And the president said, really? He said, yes. He says, I am the pastor of a church that will soon reach 10,000 members. And he says, if you want 10,000 new accounts, you will write me a check right now for $50,000. The president looked at him and said, you don't have any paperwork. You don't have any collateral. And then he reached into his desk and wrote him a $50,000 check and deposited it in his account. And he walked out of there knowing that the bigger the circle you draw, the bigger the miracle that God can give you. If you don't take the risk, you forfeit the miracle. I want you to think about that for a minute. If you don't take the risk, you forfeit the miracle. Moses had learned this lesson well. And he began to realize, after going from one miracle to another, that it was worth the risk to trust the Lord. And in Numbers chapter 11, the verses that we read this morning, let me give you just a quick context of this chapter. Because after 400 years of slavery, God delivers the Israelites out of Egypt. But it's much harder getting Egypt out of the Israelites than getting the Israelites out of Egypt. They had memories of slavery and the miracles of deliverance and Yet the Israelites wanted to go back to Egypt because they thought they had it easier then. And the people of Israel begin to uh, complain and they begin to cry out, Oh, that you would give us some meat to eat. 
We remember all the fish that we used to eat for free in Egypt. We had all the cucumbers, melons, leeks, onions, and garlic that we wanted. But now our appetites are gone. And day after day, we have nothing to eat but this manna. And they begin to complain. Can you believe people that know God would complain? That's the reaction I thought I was going to get. How many of you know that today we still have selective memory? We still have this sense of, God, what have you done for me in the last ten minutes? Rather than reviewing the things that He has done in our whole life. And they begin to think back on the time of being captives and the food that they had there. And because they wanted something more on the menu, they were complaining. And they forgot that they weren't just slaves, but that they had been victims of genocide. And yet it was manna that they were complaining about and meat that they wanted. The capacity for complaining was astounding. But they were grumbling. There are miracles today that are all around us that need that we need to be aware of. It's easy sometimes to complain about problems that we have or situations in our life and forget about the miracles that are happening around us even right now. The simple act of reading involves millions of impulses firing across billions of synopsis. And while reading, your heart goes about its business of circulating five quarts of blood through 100,000 miles of veins, arteries, and capillaries. And it's amazing that you can even concentrate giving the fact that you're on a planet that's traveling 67,000 miles an hour in space while spinning around on its axis at a speed of 1,000 miles an hour. But we still ask God, what have you done for me in the last 10 minutes? Have you forgotten me? And sometimes in spite of the complaining, God still works. Because there have been times in my life, and I'm sure that there have been times in yours, when in the middle of complaint, God still came through for you. And Moses began to do a mental math. And you can read in Numbers 11, chapter 21. Chapter 11, verse 21. God says, I will give you meat to eat for a whole month. And Moses in his mind over these next few verses begins to calculate, looking at all of the flocks that they have with them, and thinking about the entire ocean that he knew of at that time, thinking, is there any way that if we butchered everything that we had and we caught every fish that we could catch in the sea, if there would be enough meat for these people for a day, let alone a month? And in his mind, he was trying to find any conceivable way that God could answer this prayer. And as I was thinking about that, I thought, that's just like me. I use me because I don't know what you think. But whenever I sense the Lord leading me in an area that I do not know or trying to stretch my faith, my mind, because I'm a rational human being and I'm a bottom line person, instantly begins to think of all of the conceivable ways that God can answer a prayer. Some of you are going, that's me. I start thinking, okay, Lord, if you're going to answer this, then here's what we need. Bing, 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 bing. I need somebody to fund it. I need this. I need this. And in our mind, we begin to work through all of the aspects of the way that we think God can do the job when God is thinking of ways that are so far outside of that that we can't even begin to comprehend it. And Moses was going, I'm having a hard time conceiving this, Lord, how you're going to pull this off in all of the normal ways. But what he had learned and what each of us need to learn is that when we put the little that we have into the hands of God, God can do anything with it. What is the step of faith that you need today in pursuing your big dream? Because God was about to do something in their life that was unbelievable. 
and something that wouldn't leave their minds forever. Numbers chapter 11, verses 31 through 32, it says, Now a wind went out from the Lord. A wind went out from the Lord and drove quail in from the sea. It scattered them up to two cubits deep in the camp and as far as a day's walk in any direction. All that day and night and all the next day, the people went out and gathered quail. No one gathered less than ten homers. What's a homer? I know what a homer is in sports. Let me just set this stage for you. Where the Israelites were at this particular time in their journey was in the wilderness of Paran. It's a region that's about 50 miles inland from the Mediterranean Sea and 50 miles southwest of the Dead Sea. And the significance of this, for any of you that may ever have been quail hunters, is that quail like to live by water. And quail normally hang out in coveys of probably less than 50 birds and they don't fly very far. If you flush a covey of quail, they generally go 100, 200 yards and then they begin to land. And so there was nothing about quail that would make sense in this particular instance. This was not just a meteorological miracle. It was a miraculous wind of God that began to do something that a mind couldn't conceive of. And so based on the Hebrew system of measurement that we were just given, a day's walk was approximately 15 miles in any direction. And if you square the radius and multiply by pi, we are talking about an area that God brought quail into of 700 square miles. To put that in perspective, I did a little demographic research and discovered Syracuse in area is 26.6 square miles. 26.6 square miles. God brought quail into an area where he said the quail were three feet deep over 700 square miles. Just a quick calculation. A homer equated to 200 liters. Or as I did a little research, indicates about five bushels of quail per person. Five bushels. Assuming that a quail were of an average size... It rained in the neighborhood through the wind of God an average of 105 million quail. 105 million. Now, I recognize that that's not a big number compared to our national debt, so we're kind of numb to that. But for this day and age, that was pretty dramatic in fashion, and it was always pretty dramatic in proportion. In fact, I somehow sat back as I was reading this thinking, there came a point in time when God was just showing off. Moses knew that God would answer prayer. He couldn't conceive it in his mind. But it was unpredictable how he did it, and it was unprecedented. But Moses had the guts to circle the promise anyway and go out and tell the people what God had told them that God was going to do, which leaves us today to believe that it's always cloudy with a chance of quail in your life. Is there a promise that you need to circle? Maybe you need to circle a promise for your marriage. Maybe you need to circle a promise for your children. Maybe you need to circle a promise for this stage of life. Maybe you are living in fear and you're trying to find conceivable ways that God can answer your prayer. And God says, circle the promise and let me answer my way. Maybe you are living in fear and you're wondering if it's worth the risk of trusting Him. Or you're facing a dream that you are pursuing and you don't know how it's going to come about. 
But I want you to know something today. And this is our third point. It's time for you to begin to compare your dream versus God's power. Your dream versus God's power because that's where the risk comes in. Before the quail storm that took place, God asked Moses a question. And it's an important question because it's a question that we even need to answer today. Moses told God, said, listen, there are 600,000 foot soldiers here with me. And you promised them meat for a whole month. And he says, even if we butchered all of our flocks and all of our herds, would that satisfy them? Even if we cut all the fish in the sea, would that be enough? And then the Lord says to Moses, this is important for those of you that brought your Bibles, I'd like you to underline this. Is there any limit to my power? Or in some of your versions it says, is my arm too short? Is my arm too short? The interesting thing about the way that this is written in Hebrews is because God was referring in this back to the idea. He was referring Moses to the idea. If I can create the world out of my voice, is my arm too short to do anything I want to do? In Genesis, the Lord said, in the beginning, God created. He spoke and there was things that were invented. And so by bringing Moses' mind back to the fact that I am the creator of the ends of the universe, since this whole, this, this whole thing is in my hands, don't you believe that I can do things that you can't conceive of? I made this, trust me. And the obvious answer to that question, is there any limit to my power? Are my arms too short? The, the obvious answer is no. God is omnipotent, which means by definition, there's nothing that God cannot do. Yet many of us pray as if our problems are bigger than God. Many of us are walking around in life thinking there's nothing that He can do in me and there's nothing He can do for me because He's never seen a situation like me. So let me remind you of something today. God is infinitely bigger than your biggest problem. God is infinitely bigger than your biggest dream. And while we're on the topic, God is infinitely bigger than your biggest sin. His grace is available to you. A.W. Tozier said one of the reasons that we face the problems that we have today is we have an inferior view of God. We have far too low of a view of God. He says, if you have a high view of God, the solution to 10,000 temporary problems becomes immediate because you know that God is walking with you. And if that's true, and I believe it is, then your biggest problem isn't an impending divorce. It's not a failing business. It's not a doctor's diagnosis. And please understand that I am not making light of any of these situations. I just want you to know that your biggest problem is trusting God for the answer. Because He is able and capable. And if you will begin to put things into a godly perspective of your problems, the answer that he, or the question that He asked to you today is the same question He asked of Moses. Do you believe that I don't have the power to do this? Do you think my arm is too short? Is there any limit to my power? Last week, we asked the question of one another that the Lord asks of you is, what do you want me to do for you? And you begin to write that down. And I ask you today, have you answered that question? Have you spent this week asking, Lord, this is what I need you to do for me? Because if you have, then I know that sometime during the week, you had to ask yourself the question, how big is God? We used to sing that song in kids' church. 
How big is God? How big and wide His vast domain? How big is God? Is He big enough to heal your marriage? Is He big enough to heal your child? Is He big enough that He's bigger than a positive MRI or a negative evaluation? Is He bigger than your secret sin and is He bigger than your secret dreams? Moses was perplexed at the promise that God had given him. How could God possibly provide meat for a month? It didn't add up. But at a critical junction, when it didn't add up in his mind, he still had the faith to take the risk that God was up to something. And he said, I'll trust you for it. And God looked at him and said, is there any limit to my power? The size of your prayers depends on the size of our God. And if God knows no limits, then neither should our prayers. With God, listen to this, with God, there is no big or small, easy or difficult, possible or impossible. With God, it's not a subject to natural laws that we know because He created them and He works outside of them. He has no beginning and no end. To the infinite, all finites are equal. Even our hardest prayers are easy for the omnipotent one to answer because there is no degree of difficulty to God. It's just, do you believe I'm going to do it? Do you trust me for it? Will you seek me for it? And will you wait until I prove it to you? When God gives a vision, He will bring the provision. We just need the courage to step out in faith. When God is calling us to get out of the boat, otherwise we will forfeit the miracle because we never took the step of faith to allow God to do what He wanted to do. I'm going to ask our worship team if they would please come. And I'm going to ask you to take your pens and paper for a moment. And I have three questions that I would like you to write down for today. Last week you told the Lord... This is exactly what I need you to do for me. You begin to pray in wisdom. Lord, lead me and guide me. Today, the first question that I would like you to write down is what step of faith is God asking you to take? What step of faith is God asking you to take? The second question what decision do you need to make? First question, what steps of faith is God asking you to take? The second one, what decision do you need to make? And the third question is, on what promise in the Bible do you need to stake a claim and say, this is mine? On what promise in the Bible do you need to stake a claim and say, this is mine? Maybe you're here today and you've never taken a first step in trusting Jesus with your life. Maybe you've let people influence you that being a follower of Christ demonstrates a weak life or that you can do it on your own and you don't need anything. But today there's a tugging in your spirit and you have a knot in your, in your throat. I want you to know that's called the convincing power of the Holy Spirit who's drawing you and saying, would you just trust me with your life? created you for a purpose. And today I want you to know that if you will trust 
Jesus with your life, that what He brings into your life will be far more than anything you can ever dream. He comes as a giver. He's a giver of life. He's a giver of blessing. He's a giver of gifts. And what He takes from you is your past and your sin and your heartache and your shame. The greatest deal you'll ever make and you didn't deserve it and you can't earn it. It's given as a free gift. So today I'm going to begin on your far left and my far right. And if you're here today and you would like Jesus to be your Savior, I'm just going to ask that you would lift your eyes and just look at me. And I will agree with you. Moving now to left center. If you're here today and say, today is my day to receive Jesus Christ. Just look at me. Yes, ma'am, I agree with you. Hallelujah. Are there others? Moving now to your right center. Yes, ma'am, I agree with you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Moving all the way over to your right. Yes, sir, I agree with you. The overflow. Yes, sir, I agree with you. Hallelujah. We give you thanks, Lord. Heavenly Father, for these that today acknowledge that they need you as Savior. You come in at their own invitation, Lord. They're not Christian because they're in church. They become child of the living God. They become Christian because they invite you in. Every one of us has come the same way. And so I pray that in their own heart right now that they would simply say, Jesus, come into my life. Cleanse my sin. And begin to live in me. And help me live a life that pleases you. And we will rejoice with them. In Jesus' name.